But I'd, I'd say at the highest level, the main reason most companies don't have a product strategy is because what they're really trying to do with their product teams is not serve the customers. They're actually trying to serve the business. So what that means is that they have several stakeholders around the company, like the head of marketing, the head of uh, finance, the head of HR, the head of sales, whatever. They have all these different stakeholders around the company. And each one of them has a set of needs. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Sleeman, and welcome to PM Hub Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. So you have an empowered product team where you give them problems and not features to build. That's great. But how do you know which problems to solve for? This talk with Marty Kagan is all about product strategy. Now, before founding the Silicon Valley product group to pursue his interest in helping others create successful products, uh, Marty Kagan served as an executive responsible for defining and building products for some of the most successful companies in the world, including Hewlett Packard, Netscape Communication, and eBay. Now, we talked why teams don't even have a product strategy to begin with, what are some of the components of an effective product strategy and how to even balance between short-term goals and long-term ones. So get ready, guys, to get some valuable insights on strategy from Marty Kagan. All right, Marty, welcome to PM Hub. Thank you very much. It's great to have you. Now, Marty, uh, today we're going to talk about product strategy. And I've been reading your uh, product strategy blog uh, post recently. And uh, in one of the posts, you were talking about that so many of the product uh, teams that you meet, they have a goal in place, say like, you know, doubling the revenue and they have a product roadmap, like the tactics in place, but yet no product strategy to be found. Now, I'm curious to know, why is that the case? Why is it so hard to have a product strategy in place? Well, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, fundamentally, why don't they have a product strategy in place? Um, and one reason they often don't is because it is hard uh, in, in several reasons. Uh, it's hard for the company. But I'd, I'd say at the highest level, the main reason most companies don't have a product strategy is because what they're really trying to do with their product teams is not serve the customers, they're actually trying to serve the business. So what that means is that they have several stakeholders around the company, like the head of marketing, the head of uh, finance, the head of HR, the head of sales, whatever. They have all these different stakeholders around the company. And each one of them has a set of needs. Uh, of course, they're trying to run their part of the business. And they're used to a model where the tech people, I mean that loosely, are there to, um, to provide the features they think they need. And so if that's how the company's working, then there really isn't, that's why there's no strategy. You could say the strategy is just try to please as many stakeholders as you can. But of course, that's not a strategy. But that, that is what I think the root is in most companies. Um, and of course, this is these are companies that have not transformed to the modern product way of working. They're still working 
what's sometimes called IT style or feature team style. But one way or another, each of these different stakeholders is providing a roadmap, uh, and those are um, uh, getting down to the product teams in the form of a bunch of features and projects they need to build this quarter, this year. So if the company, well, I, of course, often try, uh, point out to those kinds of companies that, you know, look, you're just you're just chasing features. You're, you're just trying to serve the business. You're not actually uh, trying to pursue a product vision. There's no product vision, product strategy. There's no uh, insights-driven work here. It is just reacting to the needs of the business. And don't get me wrong, businesses do have needs, different parts of the business. But that is really not the point of a, a product organization. So it's a much bigger conversation, really. Product strategy is often just the symptom. You don't see a product strategy. It's the symptom. The real cause is that they are still working in the old IT project mindset, and they haven't transformed yet. That's the real cause. Um, I didn't really address your question there about, well, what makes product strategy so hard? I mean, I was sort of saying, why don't they even have a product strategy at all? Why don't they even try? That's why they don't try. But for the ones that do, it's still hard. So let's say they have transformed or they're trying to transform. It's still hard to do a product strategy. And I think it's because uh, it requires four things, all four of which are hard for most companies. The first thing it requires is focus, which, of course, is no surprise, but uh, many, most leadership teams really struggle to focus. They think they're focused if they're pursuing 30, 40, 50 initiatives for the year. They think that's focused because they're only pursuing 30, 40, 50. They're not pursuing the 200 that they would like to do. So, and I have to point out to them, that is not really what we mean by focus. You are an order of magnitude off. Focus is really about picking the few things. Honestly, it's typically two or three that really make a difference for a company. And that may be things like doubling revenue or increasing our uh, retention of our customers or reducing the churn, same idea. But there's a few things that really make a difference. And so the first thing that's important for a strategy is focus. And as you know, especially because so many executives live by this fear of missing out, FOMO, that they see all these things going on in the world and they want to try a little bit on all of them so that maybe one of them really hits. Of course, that's uh, that's not a recipe for success. So the first issue is focus why. That's one thing that's hard. The second thing that's hard is, is product strategy. So you've narrowed it down to two or three really important things for the company, and now it's based on insights. We have to use our insights to tell us the best way to focus our efforts and solve these problems. Now, those insights can come from quantitative. uh, They they very often do from an analysis of the data. They can come from qualitative, like talking to our customers. They can come from new enabling technologies. They can come from major industry trends. They can come from lots of different places. But this is another thing that most companies are not good at because they're not used to the model where they have to generate insights like this on an ongoing basis. They're used to the model where they just try to serve as many stakeholders as they can. 
All right, so that's the second thing they struggle with. And insights really are the key to an effective product strategy. And the third thing product strategy requires is, you know, the purpose of the insights and the focus is to narrow down the set of problems that we need our product teams to tackle. And then we have to assign those problems to specific product teams. And of course, that's very different than how the old IT style works, where you'd give them a bunch of features to build in a roadmap. Instead, we're saying, no, you have to give them a set of problems to solve. And that's at a higher level. And this is really where empowerment comes from. An empowered product team means they're given a problem to solve, not a feature to build. And they get to figure out the best way to solve that problem. Uh, and then the final fourth uh, thing that companies struggle with is um, it, it still requires management because things, as soon as a strategy is really being executed, you know. It, First of all, some teams make faster progress than others, and the world changes. Somebody acquires something, or a developer leaves, or you have a dependency you didn't realize. There's a thousand things that come up, and a good strategy requires active management. But here's the key. You don't want to undermine that empowerment you just did by giving people teams problems to solve by micromanaging them. So the fourth thing it requires that's hard for most companies is managers that understand this idea of servant leadership or basically they are there to help remove obstacles, chase down impediments, whatever is needed, but they're not there to take over and say, let me drive. So those are the four things that are necessary for a strong product strategy and as you might imagine, not exactly things that come natural to a lot of companies used to working in old ways. 100%. Now, I love how you broke it down into four pieces, and that's that's amazing. Now, uh, in a part that you talk about the focus, the, sec uh, the first part, actually, on the focus piece for strategy, you talk about, you know, uh, focusing on a few initiatives, like you mentioned, two or three that can truly make an impact. And that's kind of like a model like the, you know, work in progress, uh, work in progress, like a whip uh, limits in Kanban framework. And instead of like working like, you know, tens of different features, uh, which is the case with, with most of the companies out there that you work with. And you also, you mentioned about the companies, it's tough uh, for them because uh, to focus on a few initiatives because there's FOMO, there's competitor moves, there's the deals that are lost and everything else. So my question is, how do you go about picking the right uh, initiatives to focus on, Marty? Well, first of all, I'd say this is really um, the senior leadership team. So, the, and honestly, I, it's not hard because this comes, uh, except in the very large, huge companies, it's usually the board of directors is talking about this. This is what their discussions are every month. And um, they have typically a set of goals for the company for the year. Um, I, I will tell you, it's very common that they are they're around growth, they're around profitability, they're around retention, they're around proving product market fit. You know, these they're not minor things that the board is focused on. They're these big things, and. If that's what the company is really trying to do this year, like we're going to go expand from North America into Europe. All right, that's a big goal for the year. Um, we better get to work. And these are the kinds of things. At that level, 
it's it's not 50. I mean, if it's 50, you've got much bigger issues, but it's rarely that. It's normally at the board level, it's a few really important things. Where where things companies go wrong is then the senior leadership team and all the stakeholders will often take those top level business goals and try to think of all the things they're going to need to build in order to do that deliver on that. And so that's what we want to change and move that to empowered teams. Right. And I'm sure we're going to later on, we're going to dig a bit deeper on this topic of, you know, the senior leadership and the stakeholders. Now, I'm also curious to know, how would this approach change for a tech giant like Google with a plethora of products and millions of customers out there versus a startup with maybe a handful of products? Well, not really so different. I mean, the main thing to realize is that a company like Google or Amazon or Apple, these massive companies, um, there are many different divisions. I mean, you could start, you, you mentioned Google, so that's fine. There's Google Cloud, there's YouTube, there's AdWords, there's the suite. There, uh, there are all these different, and they're really like uh, a business within the business. And just like it wouldn't make sense to have one product vision for Google or one product strategy for Google, but it does make sense to have one for each of those units. And, it, and as soon as you break it down into a business unit like that, it starts to look an awful lot like a good startup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now that does make sense. Uh, no, now we're talking about, uh, you know, the second part of crafting a product strategy, which you mentioned, you know, it involves generating, identifying, and leveraging insights. Uh, now I'm curious to know, does that mean that the product strategy is a living document as you get more insights? And, you know, if that's the case, you know, how often at, and at what point do you go about updating it? So yes, uh, it is living, but, um, I, and I, it would be great if it actually changed more frequently. It doesn't really change that much. Um, I want to draw a distinction. The product vision rarely changes. I mean, that product vision is usually anywhere from two years out for two to five years for software, five to 10 years for a device company. Uh, so it's long-term and that doesn't change much. That's more like the North Star. A lot of people call it that. It's not going to move much. Um, but the strategy, which is your best use of teams in order to get there, that will change based on, first of all, not just insights. It'll change based on progress. Certain teams will make progress faster than other teams, and then markets develop at different paces. And yes, to your point, insights are discovered. And as we discover those insights, often we will like, yes, next quarter, we should take advantage of this insight. We just realized that behavior on people that have installed the app on their device are, is very different than people accessing from the web. And you know what? That, that opens up a great opportunity. We should start doing this on our, our app or whatever. And so that insight that comes from the data may change your product strategy. So product strategy, normally it it's gets a significant update each year, but more like minor updates every quarter. Like what you hear so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast has been made possible by listeners like yourself, and I'm thankful for your support. Now, let's head back to the show. Right, right. Okay, now it does make sense, yeah. Uh, now, you also talk about, you know, you mentioned that, you know, serving, and actually it goes back to the point we are talking about previously, uh, you know, 
serving the business instead of like serving the customers in ways that will help the business is really rarely desired by the head of product. Rather, it's kind of like more the CEO and the stakeholders that they want to kind of work this way. Now, the question is, as a head of product, as a product person within that setup environment, how can you uh, go about changing this? How can you help leadership and stakeholders realize the value of solving for user problems over short-term results? Well, first, I would point out it's not about over short-term results because I would argue product teams get consistently better short-term and long-term results than feature teams. So it's not that. But what it is is you know, you're trying to say what's how do you get an organization to change from the way they're used to doing it to the way the best companies in the world work. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are different things that motivate that change. Uh, I, I say this as an observer for many, many years. Uh, the most effective thing that seems to motivate the change is fear. Um, the CEO or the board of directors realizes that, oh no, now we're in the sights of Amazon. Uh, Amazon, we think, is going to start coming after us. And do you see how they continually disrupt industries? Because they're really good at how they build product. And we're not. So we're in trouble unless we figure out how to work effectively. So that's, that's probably the most common way this changes. Uh, and, I, and I would also say the most common reason companies don't change is because they think they're in a protected industry. They've got government lobbyists. They've got, you know, they don't need to change. So right. they're like, we're fine. We're making plenty of money. We're fine. But uh, the, the ones that do feel a threat, that's a good motivator. Sometimes the board decides to replace the CEO because they don't think their CEO understands this and, and they need to. Um, but for whatever reason, if the um, leaders are not sold on transforming, then it's really hard to transform. So I, I do um, I do try my best to help uh, these leaders educate their CEO. I, I, one of the reasons I write books is because I have found that CEOs respond very you know, much better to a book than to, for example, blog articles or podcasts or uh, pretty much anything else. <laughs> so right. uh, even even though I've had content, you know, available free for years, once you get it published by a big publisher in a beautiful book there, they they feel like, okay, it's real now, I, sh I can read this. So whatever it takes, it is really important for those leaders to understand why this is important. It's not impossible to pursue a transformation without the support of the senior leaders, but it is a lot harder. Uh, and it's hard enough even with their support. Yeah, no, 100%. Now, the next question I have, Marty, uh, you kind of answered that, but I'm still going to ask it anyways. You know, in your book, Inspired, uh, you mentioned that, you know, products need to be valuable, obviously, to the users and viable to the business at the same time. Now, to me, uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but uh, from from my experience, I've noticed that, you know, if you want to go about and solve uh, for the user, the results might not be as clear, especially in short term. Uh, and that's that's uh, basically, uh, you know, what happens, especially like 
in, in a book like uh, The Innovator's Dilemma, uh, they talk about how big companies, by focusing on short-term results and not solving for user uh, problems, they get disrupted. So my question is, if you see it the same way, or if there's like a, an angle that you can see that way, uh, how do you balance between these two, uh, you know, somehow competing objectives when you're crafting a product strategy? Uh, products need to be four things in order to be successful. Valuable, right. viable, usable, feasible. Uh, and it's not like those are traded off against each other. If any one of those four is not there, you've got a failed product. So uh, especially if value is not there. Uh, so that is, those are, that's really the bar and that's what we're trying to do. Um, now, I think what you're really getting at when you talk about balance is you're sort of comp saying trading off short term versus longer term. Uh, and a lot of companies struggle with that because they, you know, short term financial results, public company, everybody's chasing the little increment and then pretty soon you end up disrupted. Uh, that is a thing for sure. Um, one of the things that good product practice advocates is that every product team is working on both short and longer term things. We call the, we don't refer to it as short term and long term. We refer to it as discovery and optimization work. The optimization is the short term, quick hits, low risk. The discovery work is the more disruptive, significant new value for customers and your business. So what, you know, the short answer to your question is product leadership. If you have capable product leadership, they are managing that balance and ensuring that we're both doing short-term work as well as long-term work. Does the process of crafting product strategy need to be collaborative? Product strategy needs to be strong. Um, so it's not about collaboration for that. Uh, I'm not saying anti-collaboration. It's just it's not a, the, what makes product discovery so necessary to be collaborative is it requires very different skill sets, product design and engineering in order to do that. Product strategy is this is the responsibility of the head of product. Now, they they will need to work with others to make sure that is a very good and strong product strategy. But it's less about collaboration and more about inclusion. You need to, for example, make sure your CEO feels some ownership of it. You need to make sure it's data informed. Um, so it's more like that. How does a product strategy relate to the overall company strategy? Well, I mean, there's a lot of kinds of strategy, right? Uh, what I think you're referring to is the business strategy. There is a business strategy for a company. So for example, that example, that example I gave a little bit ago where a board decides for 2021, we are going to start selling in Europe. That's a business strategy decision. And that's, that's one thing at that level. And it's important because now you probably, you may need to hire salespeople in Europe. You may need to build marketing capability in Europe, things like that. But when it comes to the product strategy, now we have to make sure that our products are successful and sellable in Europe. It may be easy, maybe like our product just needs a little localization for local language payment, we're done. 
or it may be dramatic changes that are necessary. The product strategy's job would be to deliver on that business strategy. So if the business goal is to say have 30% of revenue coming from Europe in 2021, product strategy is meant to say how we're going to do that. Yeah. Now, you also talk about in the last part of crafting a uh, product strategy on the management piece, you talk about, you know, properly managing, changing this product strategy requires smart engaged leaders that practice servant leadership. You talked a bit about it, but I'm curious to know if you can elaborate a little bit more on how do you go about becoming a servant leader? Well, I didn't make up that term. That's an industry term, and it's not a perfect term for what I'm talking about. What I'm really trying to say is not a command and control micromanaging leader. Um, that's what I'm really trying to say, because that's the the real problem we, we have with when you're trying to empower teams is a manager that wants to um, make all the decisions and be very directive. Like, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And it'll be, trust me, it'll be fine. That's, um, that is, uh, is, you know, it's not empowering. People will do what they're told largely, but that's not what we want. We don't want teams that just do what they're told. We want them to uh, be passionate about coming up with a great solution. We say we need teams of missionaries, not mercenaries. And if you need, if you want teams of missionaries, then the managers have to be smart about this, about how their language, they have to be smart about how they allocate work. Similarly, they have to be smart about how they staff. If you have a bunch of outsourced engineers, you are not going to have empowered product teams. You are not going to have missionaries. So even at a most basic level, they need to understand that. But then once they have people, they also have to be smart about how they're managing. So for example, um, if a product team says, look, we've looked into something and there's a dependency we didn't realize, uh, we need some help here. Can you help us, help us get another product team to help us on this? That a servant leader model would say, yes, I will go and we'll look at what we can do and shuffle things around so that uh, you can get what you need. And a micromanager would say, well, you don't know what you're doing. I'll take over the project management of this. That's really the difference. So um, servant leadership is a phrase to... Uh, describe this sort of model where management is there to enable the team, not to direct the team. I love that. I love that, Mari. Thank you for that. So uh, you also have an upcoming book, right, uh, on product leadership. Uh, do you mind telling us a bit more about it? Right. Well, Inspired is really aimed at product teams, product managers, and it focuses on what I consider is the most fun part of the problem, which is how do good problems solve, sorry, how do good product teams solve hard problems in ways that customers love but work for the business? That's what uh, Inspired is about. One of the things I realized when Inspired started getting spread around the world was um, in a lot of companies, the teams are not allowed to work that way. They are working in a lot of the ways we've been talking about, uh, feature teams. And of course, this is really crazy to me and frustrating because the teams, it's not that hard to show them how good teams work and then they want to work that way. But if they're not allowed to work that way, then everybody kind of loses. So I uh, I realized what 
we really needed to focus on here, the even larger problem is why aren't they allowed to work that way? It's the leaders. And so the new book, Empowered, focused is focused on product leaders, the leaders of product management, the leaders of product design, and the leaders of engineering, and the leaders of the broader organization. Very cool. And then how, how can we, uh, is it ready to uh, pre-order this book, Empower? It is available for pre-order on Amazon at least, and uh, it'll be out, the publisher says it'll be out on December 3rd. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, Marty, thank you so much for being on PM Hub and talking about product strategy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of PM Hub Podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's talk with Marty Kagan. Now, you can get all the tips and action items of this episode for free at this bit.ly link that I'm going to give you. So it's bit.ly forward slash PM Hub 13. Also, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Cyrus Slayman, and until next episode, stay safe and healthy.